We are the church of God. He lives in you. Is everybody awake today? I don't know if we're supposed to be more awake because the clocks are forward, but less awake, but I'm fired up either way. Because the Lord worked me up and he said, you got one more day on planet earth to glorify my name. And thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me get back to what I was saying. I served Jehovah Jireh God. And I had two other people step up to host teenage homes. (laughs) It's because I asked them to. (laughs) But now we've got all four homes taken care of for the student ministry. Amen? (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) So I want you to personally pray for Ms. Kathy Smith and Judy McDonald who are hosting teenagers and loving on them. And that's two of the most loving people in the church. (laughs) Pray for the girls too. That's right. Let's stand this morning. I'm sorry. No, let's, let's, let's turn in our Bibles first. Let's turn to uh, Philippians 4. Let's stand up and read. Let's just stand up and read. Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 10. Here's what the scripture says. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care. But... But you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to both be full and be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's read verse 13 together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you know Philippians uh, also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit That abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Be seated in the house of God today. We're going to examine the context today of one of the most improperly quoted scriptures in the New Testament. I call it one of those coffee cup scriptures, one of those bumper sticker scriptures, one of those t-shirt scriptures. Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I don't think people are wrong by quoting scripture, but here's where we get wrong. We get wrong when we quote the text out of the context. And we're going to examine this scripture today. I'm going to kind of work backwards through this passage this morning. And I'm going to start actually at the last verse I read, verse 19. Let me read that again. It says, My God will sh- shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Here's what Apostle Paul wants the believers in Philippians to know. God will meet your needs. Does anybody can testify to that today? God will meet your needs. If you're living and you still got food or a little breakfast on the table today, God has met your needs your entire life. 
If we're still in the house of God today, he woke us up. God has met our needs. The resounding thrust of this entire letter to the uh, Philippians is this. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. The provision of God is a general pattern in the New Testament and specifically the writings of Paul, but also a general theme throughout the whole Bible that, that God will take care of you. I remember the story of an uh, older widow who stood on her front porch every morning and prayed to God, God, would you provide my groceries for the day? Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh. Would you give me some food to eat today? God, I need groceries. And every morning she would go on her porch and she would pray for God to provide her groceries. Now there was an atheist who lived nearby. And as he walked in the morning, he heard this old lady praying to God, God, will you provide my groceries? So one morning, this atheist went to the grocery store, and before she comes out, he bought some bags of groceries and set them up on her front porch. And she came out, and she says, God has provided all my need. That atheist was behind the bushes. He says, no, he didn't. I did. And she says, and the devil has paid for it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's pretty good. But what Paul means when he says that God will take care of you is not exactly what we think it means. The way that Paul ends his letter to the Philippians is in the same fashion that he begins his letter to the Philippians. After his introduction in chapter 1, he says this. If you want to, flip over to chapter 1. And he begins... Uh, uh, his standard introduction of his letters. And after his introductions, he says that that he would pray for them. In verse 6, this is where he begins the theme of his letter. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He starts off his letter by saying God will be sovereign in the life of the believer. And he ends his letter by saying God will be sovereign in the life of the believer. Paul was a good sermon writer. He was a good letter writer. The way he introduced the theme of the letter was the way he concluded the theme of the letter. That God will take care of our needs. God will take care of you. But the question I ask when Paul said he begins his letter by saying being confident of this. That God will take care of you. What was the basis For Paul's confidence. What is the reason that Paul knows that God will carry that work of completion? And you have to keep on reading. You can't take the text out of context, Lauren. That's why God gave us the whole Bible and not little scriptures. So what happens is after we see that introduction in chapter 1, we keep reading a few verses down. And, And sometimes what we think is, well, God will complete a good work in us. That he's going to make things better. And we say things like, oh, right now I'm going through a trial. Right now I'm going through tribulation. But I know that God who completed a work in me will complete it. And we think that God's going to take care of our tribulation. Or possibly even remove our tribulation. Let's see if this is true in the context of Paul's letter. Look down to verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. Because we need to understand the introduction of the letter in order to understand the conclusion. Why is he confident? He says, verse 12, chapter 1, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. 
so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is literally writing this whole letter while he's chained up in prison. He's sitting in a cold, damp, hard, lonely prison cell saying, I'm confident that God will carry on the work to completion. This should blow us away this morning. This should blow us away. That when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's literally writing while chained up in prison. I can do all things while I'm in chains. I can do all things even though I can't see anything but these bars and stone. I can do all things. I'm confident. He's not saying, man, God's going to make your life roses and fairy tales. No, he's saying (laughs) the Christian life will be a life of tribulation and persecution, but you can do it all with joy. You can do it all with love. You can do it all with peace. I'm confident of that because he'd been through the whippings. He'd been through the shipwrecks. He'd been through the beatings. And he was still testifying the goodness of God. So what he knew, no matter what come your way, no matter what tribulation and trial God puts you through, that you can be confident God is going to work through it. He's going to use it for his glory. First of all, I want us to see something that we all need to stop taking verses out of context. When we preach Philippians 4.13 or when we speak it that's at the end of the, the letter... When we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, it doesn't mean that God wants us to run a marathon because Christ who strengthens me. I got a lot of friends that run marathons. They run 5Ks, 10Ks, marathons. I don't particularly like running unless something's chasing me. (laughs) Bear, coyote, wild boar, angry cow. Man, I'll run like a heartbeat, like Forrest Gump. But people, they go and they run. I can do all things. yes. Only Americans run (laughs) when something is not chasing them. (laughs) If somebody's running in Africa, you better run too because something else is coming. (laughs) It doesn't mean that God wants us to graduate college because God strengthened us. Let me tell you, atheists graduate college every day and they do a pretty good job of it. That's not just the context of the verse. The context of the verse is not that we can lay in bed on Sunday and skip church because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's some people who think that. (laughs) I don't need to go to church. Let's read the New Testament. It does not take strength to endure the blessings of life. What Paul is talking about is strength to endure the tribulation and persecution that comes through Christianity. And the reality of, uh, of this is most of us is not living 1% of the persecution Paul was living in. That's true. You see, what we do is we shorten that verse, Philippians 4.13, out of context. We say, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things. I can do things. 
I can do whatever I want through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what it says. It's not I can do whatever I want through Christ who strengthens me. It's not what we can do with Christ. It's what we do through Christ means living in the gospel. It's what we do through Christ by abiding according to him that we can do through his strength. Not whatever we want to. What he wants us to. You see, when you choose your own path, you're normally going to choose a path of comfort. When we do whatever we want, the flesh wants what is least difficult. The flesh wants to chain itself to the idol of self-worship and the altar is comfort. There is little affliction in following self. There is little tribulation in following self. Oh, sure, sin has its pleasures and sin has its difficulties. But as long as we are filling our bellies with the lusts of this world, the devil will make sure that we're fat and happy. Now, that's not, that's not a reference to our body. That's a reference to our ego. That as long as we're fulfilling the self, the devil will make sure we're fat and happy. The devil wants you to be pleased. The devil wants you to be comfortable. The devil wants you to have every need taken care of in an earthly manner so that you stop depending on God. Let me tell you something. What the prosperity gospel has become is the devil's gospel. Matter of fact, the church of Satan says you should have luxury and riches. That's one of the things the church of Satan exists for. And that's what the prosperity gospel in America has become. That we should have prosperity and riches as a Christian. Let me tell you what. There's Christians in Africa, India, China who are living for Christ who have one meal to eat today. The prosperity gospel does not work. We have an Americanized version of what we expect God to bless us with. And this is not the worldwide version. And if our version of theology doesn't work in another country, it surely won't work here. And it's producing a bunch of lazy, not fit Christians who aren't strengthened for the battle. And when tribulation comes, and my friend, it will, when tribulation comes, there will be a great sweeping through the body of Christ to divide the sheep from the goats. And people who are in it for comfort will not last long. You see, the confidence that Apostle Paul had in the gospel through Philippians is not a confidence that there would be a lack of tribulation, but a confidence that there will be tribulation and that God will use it for his glory. It's funny how Americans wig out about tribulation when Phil Robertson was banned from A&E for a few days. People lost their minds. Oh, people hate God. Let me tell you something, friends. Being told that you can't uh, be on your TV show making $50,000 an episode is not persecution. Being told that you cannot speak on TV about Christ is not persecution. Whenever we start landing in prison and on the guillotine, then we'll understand persecution. When the homosexuals got mad at Chick-fil-A, no one was being persecuted because Chick-fil-A lost 3% of their sales. We got mad because gays don't want to eat chicken. I'll be honest, if some Christian people started inviting some gay people over for chicken, maybe they'll start realizing that Jesus does love them and wants them to live a changed lifestyle. 
When's the last time we invited a homosexual over for chicken? Or a drug addict? Or a prostitute? Most of, them don't even, most of us don't even know those people. You know why? Because all we do is hang around church people and we become isolated from the world that we're supposed to be the light in the darkness. We talk about persecution because they're not eating chicken. That's ridiculous. Let's talk about real persecution for a minute. Right now in North Korea, Kim Jong-un has sentenced 33 Christians to be executed just two days ago. And they were sentenced to be executed because they were having church in their house. They were sentenced to be executed because they were doing the same thing that we are doing right now. And they're going to die for it. Would you show up here today if it meant your death? If not, we love, this more than we, we love this world more than we love Christ. That's persecution, my friend. And let me tell you what, the church in North Korea is exploding. The leader, of, the leader that was sentenced with them, they started 400 home churches. 400 house churches were started in the most persecuted place in this planet. Let me tell you what the American church needs. It needs a little bit of persecution to sweep through. That'll be a great church growth program. It won't be because of uh, uh, the lights and, and, and because of uh, the programs and on and on. It'll be because people are following Jesus for no other reason than Jesus. You see, now let's talk about the context of Philippians 4.13. As these brothers and sisters in North Korea are being led to the slaughter, much like Christ was being led to the cross, it could be even today they're being led to the slaughter. They're chained. And you know what they're saying? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, my friends, is context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when that gun fires and when that guillotine drops, let me tell you what, they're still going to be saying I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they're going to realize after that second happens and they pass into eternity that God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Man, we've made the gospel so much about us. And not about Christ. We've made the gospel about our comfort and not his glory. When Paul says that God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. He means that God is going to give you something that money cannot touch. When God says he's going to meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. He means that he's going to give you something that the 401k will never compare I'm going to tell you what a lot of us need. He doesn't need to give us bread. He needs to withhold it for a few days. <laughs> you ever thought about that? The best thing God could do for us is not to give us things, but to take them away. That, my friends, is answering according to your needs. Sometimes God answers not to give you a job, but to take it away. Sometimes God answers is not to give you a child, but to withhold a child. So that we realize that all satisfaction comes from him and nothing alone. And sometimes our needs are 
that we profess Christ even to the point of death. And for those brothers and sisters literally right now in prison waiting for their life to be taken from that they can realize that God will be glorified in their suffering and soften the evil hearts of those who are pulling the trigger. And do you know uh, the amazing thing about Philippians who was written by Paul? Is that he was the one murdering the brethren. Paul was the Kim Jong-un of the New Testament. Paul was the one lowering the guillotine. Paul was the one lowering the blade upon those who professed Christ until God changed his heart after he saw believer after believer professing, Jesus is worthy, Jesus is worthy. So maybe Paul penned the words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it was because he saw countless believers saying the same thing even to the point of their death. My friend, God will meet your needs. It might not look like what we think it needs to look like. But it will be for his glory. Secondly, I want you to know this. That the church in Philippi, they gave more than enough. You see... You know, we're in the midst of a building campaign. We're in the midst of planning for a family life center so that we can train families and individuals to fulfill the Great Commission throughout the whole world. That's the only reason we exist for us. If we exist for another reason, we're not a church. The church is the business of Jesus, and the business of Jesus is the glory of God among the nations. So we're planning on not just building a building, we're planning on building a kingdom. And some of you thought, well, pastor's going to talk again about finances today. My friend, I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about worship. I'm not talking about a budget. I'm talking about the body of Christ, literally eternity for souls. And the church in Philippi gave more than enough. I want you to pay attention to uh, chapter 4 again, verse 18. It says this, Indeed, I have all and abound... I am full, having received from Aphrodite the things sent from you. Another translation says this. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. He was a preacher telling the church, stop giving. (laughs) Stop. You've You've given enough. You've given too much. Withhold your offerings. Withhold. They literally were giving so much to the work of the kingdom. He said, my need abounds much more than I can ever use. Stop. What was it that drove them to give too much? Here's the amazing thing. That at this time, there was no command for the apostles to receive tithes. I want you to understand this. There was no command for Apostle Paul to reap 10% for the, from the church in Philippi. There was no com- command for the apostles uh, to receive from the church. No, there was nothing that said that he was to be given 10%. What happened was the, the church in Philippi gave from the abundance of their joy, and it was more than he needed. He said, hallelujah, stop. Man, one day when the church gets radically changed and transformed by the power of Christ, I think I'll stand before the congregation and say, stop giving. We have enough. Do you believe that day can happen? Paul did. Paul saw it. And if Paul saw it, we can see it. You see... For most of you, you've heard the law preached your whole life and that you've heard that you're supposed to give 10%. And 
And that is great. (laughs) But I want to tell you that the law was always the minimum. The law was always the minimum. But once the gospel of grace came along, it shattered the law, it shattered the minimum, and no much more did Philippi gauge their giving by the law. They gauged it by grace, and grace says we've given too much. When we gauge our giving by the law, there will be no stopping the abundance that will happen in the house of God. They gave from the overflow of their heart, and it was always, always, always more than the need. This is a hard concept for us to grasp this morning because American Christianity has become so legalistic in our approach to religion. American Christianity, matter of fact, has shown that people want legalism. People want to be shown what to do. I'm going to give you an example. Dean, will you work with me today? All right. Stand up, Dean. Come this way. Come this way. This is not to make a spectacle of you. This is an illustration. Come here. All right. I want you to run. Just run. Run. Do it again. Do it again. Give him a hand, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. Now look. Brother, stand up for me. You're a young man, big boots on. All right, watch this. Run 10 steps. 10 steps. One. Good gracious, long legs. <laughs> All right, come back, come back. You know how many steps he ran? 10 steps. You know how many steps he ran? As many as he wanted to. You see the difference? You see the difference? When someone is given a command, they will do the command. When someone is given freedom, they will obey freedom. That's grace. That's the New Testament. God doesn't give us a minimum, folks. God doesn't give us a minimum under grace. Grace does not call for a minimum. Grace calls for worship. Grace calls for love. Grace calls for extravagant overflow. You see... It's easier to operate with the rule than with love. But that's not what God has called us to. God has called us into a relationship with him, not a religion. Let me tell you something. When I got married to my wife, I did not sit down with her and tell her, honey, this is how much of my income you're going to get. If I did, I would not have been married long. Maybe that's how your marriage works. My marriage doesn't work that way. (laughs) No, let me tell you. Let me tell you that my wife gets all. She gets everything. Do you know what I get? Her. I got the better deal. You see? I got the best deal. She gets everything. I get her. Hallelujah. This is the same with Jesus. We get Jesus. <laughs> And when we sit down and say, well, God, here's how much you're going to get. We diminish love. We diminish relationship. When we start putting a bar on our love. You see how that works? 
when we put a bar on it, it's now religion, not relationship. Love always wants to get more than expected. Love wants to give more than it was required. Let me tell you something about someone that's wanting to go to Haiti. I had a man approach me and he said, I heard so-and-so wants to go to Haiti. I want to tell you that, uh, that someone's going to take care of his full trip costs and give him spending money. Let me tell you, there was no biblical command for someone to do that. But love gave more than the need. Love always gives more than the need. Love gives more. Why? Because love is already full. Love is already blessed. Love is an overflow of abundance. And once the church stops preaching legalism and starts preaching love, we'll see the church explode in such a way that it would make Jonathan Edwards' head spin. Like, who's Jonathan Edwards? <laughs> Let me tell you, Paul saw what happens when the church loves. And it was more than enough. Lastly, I want you to know this. Paul didn't desire the gift, but what the gift does. Philippians 4.17 says this. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He says, I'm not looking for money. I'm looking for your fruit. I don't want the offering." I want the fragrance that arises from it to Christ. I'm not inspiring you for a campaign. He says, I'm inspiring you to love and obedience. Now, I consulted some other translations here. I always do that. Let me tell you that in the NIV, he says, I do not desire your gift. I desire what is credited to your account. And that was interesting to me. I started researching more. The New Living Translation says, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. The NASB says, I do not seek the gift, but the profit which increases to your account. Now, the one thing all these translations had in common is that they mentioned an account on behalf of the believer, that the believer has some sort of spiritual bank account in which deposits are made. This intrigued me a little bit, that you and I have a spiritual bank account upon which fruit is reaped and harvested into. Paul knows something about the nature of man and something about the nature of God. He knows that when a man or woman starts to give, it initiates a system between them and God when a flow begins to happen. I'm not saying that God's blessings are conditional, but I am saying that God's created system is conditional. For example, if you want to eat vegetables this summer, you have to plant something this spring. Has anyone ever harvested a garden and you didn't plant any seeds? It doesn't happen. God has created a system. And to your reaping is because of sowing. Now, my garden's going to be significantly smaller than Mr. Bill Palace's garden, but the key is both of us are going to reap what we sow. And this is what Jesus said. You see... What happens is, if you want to water your garden, if you got the hose, then you must go turn on the flow at the source. And then you open the nozzle. And here's the great thing. Once the nozzle starts to flow, the source continues. 
you stop the nozzle, the source stops. When you open the nozzle, the source flows. You see this? What goes out indicates what's going to come in. And it's not just material things. It's not just finances. This is a pattern of life. You see, this spiritual account that we have is not just mentioned by Paul, but also mentioned by Christ. Jesus said in Mark 10, 29, I don't want you to turn there, but you can write these verses down. Mark 10, 29, truly Jesus said, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive 100 times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, children's field, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Hmm. No one who is given to me will fail to receive a hundred times more. But he throws in a disclaimer, along with persecutions. You see, this is why Paul, in prison, chained up, could say, I'm confident that the work which we are in, that God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. That Paul, literally though he had no material blessing there in that jail cell, had every spiritual blessing and knew a heightened sense of awareness of Christ that you and I would hope to attain to. When Paul said we were blessed with the riches according to his glory in Christ Jesus, he's saying, listen, right now I'm in a jail cell, but I'm happy as a lark. He says, man, I'm just joyful, overflowing with joy. Because I know what it means to give to Christ. You see, when Paul says that God supplies all our needs, it's not a promise for comfort or prosperity, it's a promise for unspeakable riches in Christ that Jesus or money, I'm sorry, that money can never know, that only Jesus can know. It's a promise for a joy that transcends the bounds of space and time, which is founded on Christ. And Jesus also said in Luke 6, 38, he says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, Poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. These were the words of Jesus. He was saying that when you get into the flow of worship, when you get into the flow of love, that God starts pouring out so many blessings on your life that literally you won't be able to handle it. Just like Paul, you'll tell the church in Philippi, stop, stop, mm. We get to a place spiritually because of the contentment in Christ where the blessings just overflow, the blessings just abound. And even in the prison cell, we can say, man, I'm rich. I'm rich. My friend, we don't just give because of what we will get back. God is much more than a financial planner. God is more than an investment overseer. We give because, as Paul says, God will supply all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I want to implore you today as we continue to pray, to seek, 
and to enter into and through this building campaign that you understand that we're not giving to a building, but as Paul says, that what was received was a pleasing aroma acceptable to God. A pleasing aroma that reflected Christ. My friend, a black pot is a very, very small representation of the heavenly realm in which God receives the offerings of his people that all testify to a nature of love and worship which we are engrafted in. You see, the Old Testament, they gave to a temple and priests. But my friend, you and I give to the Lord Almighty. We give to the King of Kings. We give not to a church in a local place. We give to a church of the universe, the body of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what, don't base it on my words, base it on the Apostle Paul's words, that God will take care of us. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name today that you will take that scripture, place it upon our hearts. God, may we meditate on the urgings of the great apostle who said while in prison chains that we can do all things through Christ. God, that we'll be motivated through the gospel not because of what we will get, because of what we already have in Jesus, knowing that persecutions will come, tribulations will come, but through it all there is a joy because we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that does not have you as their Lord and Savior, they do not have that knowledge that today through the wooing of the Holy Spirit, God, that they'll respond to the command of knowing you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that if there's a, a family and individual here that's looking to get plugged into a church home, I pray that they can plug into a church home just like Paul says, that people are extravagantly giving and glorifying the Lord. Maybe they would come forward today and say, I'm ready to be a part of friendship. Holy Spirit, whatever you have to do, have your will and way in this place. Amen. May we stand as we sing today.